0: I'm Talib Vizram, and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we'll learn about the winners of Fast Company's World Changing Ideas Awards, find out how Rebecca Minkoff has been working from home, and visit Alton Brown in his quarantine kitchen. This is your Fast Break. Every year, Fast Company's World Changing Ideas Awards honor the businesses and organizations driving change in the world. This year, we hit an all-time record of 3,000 entries. Joining us now is the MC of the whole event, and well, my boss, Fast Company senior editor, Morgan Clendaniel. Welcome to the show, Morgan. Thanks, Talib. Uh, Great to be here.
1: It feels weird being called your
0: boss, but (laughs) great. (laughs) Um, Morgan, this was a major undertaking that I was also fortunate to help work on. Can you explain how you were able to whittle down 3,000 entries to the final 26 winners?
1: Yeah. So we, the editors of Fast Company, call all 3,000 entries down to a shortlist. And then we have a group of experts, everyone from the CEO of DoSomething.org to a Senior Director at Chobani, the Vice President of Sustainability at Nike, uh, and many others, uh, and they judge the applicants in categories that are relevant to their expertise, and that's how we get to the winners. So the the 26 winners and the hundreds of other finalists represent really the kind of innovative thinking that we at Fast Company think will help us recover and rebuild from the COVID-19
0: pandemic and the economic collapse that we're all experiencing. Sure, yeah, recovery is obviously really important right now. Could you describe some of the contenders and, and why they were ultimately chosen?
1: Yeah, absolutely. What we call the world-changing company of the year went to Abbott, which is a medical company. Uh, you may have heard of them in the news recently because they're a major player in helping up ramp up the testing capacity for COVID-19. They're making the little uh, machines that can do a five-minute test, but they submitted a range of entries that includes work on fighting malaria, on advancing careers of underrepresented people in STEM, and the creation of a new implant for babies' hearts. It's a very big solution for very small patients, and they use it to treat premature newborns with a heart defect that affects about 12,000 U.S. newborns
0: a year. Wow, that's, that's really amazing. Um, what are some of the other ones? So our
1: general excellence winner is a company called Icon, which has built a massive 3D printer that basically 3D prints whole houses. So it's this huge thing. It's 33 feet long, and it basically works like a giant version of a 3D printer, and it squirts out this custom concrete uh, in layers. It looks like frosting on a cake, and it prints out all the walls with space for the windows and the doors, and then that takes just 24 hours and then construction workers come and install the roof and the windows and the electricity and the house is done. So it's really a solution for uh, places where there's shortages of construction workers or where it's hard to
0: build. They can bring this machine in and, and quickly create a bunch of housing. Wow, that's really incredible. Um, and the winner for creativity was pretty unusual too. Uh, yeah,
1: it's called Give a Shit for Science. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but I'm just going to say it because that's the name. They are trying to crowdsource a huge library of photos of people's feces. And this is because the process for getting gut health diagnoses can be very complicated and you have to sort of describe it to your doctor or take a picture for your doctor and it's an uncomfortable process. And so they want to create a giant database to train AI to identify it by itself. So. You take a picture of your hoop, you send it to them their doctors look at it and classify it and eventually the ai will be able to do that
0: itself wow that's that's really funny but i guess extremely useful as well um there were also some ideas that specifically focused on the developing world yeah so one really cool one
1: is called the uc vision kit which is basically a portable optometry kit for use in the developing world in a lot of places in the developing world there are there can be as few as like one optometrist for every million people. So obviously very hard to get your prescription filled. So the UC Vision Kit, basically they can give it to aid workers who can go and uh, test a lot of people's glasses really easily. And you basically turn a dial until you can see clearly uh, and then it helps formulate these very cheap glasses that, that cost around $5 a person. So this is actually a huge problem around the world. I think it's a billion people are living with vision impairment. So if we can get more of those people glasses, that could be a huge boon just to, you know, their life and economic development and everything else.
0: Well, it's so inspiring to hear about all these ideas and, and their impact throughout the world, Morgan. Uh, you know, w- with the incredibly large number of entrants this year, what was your kind of overall impression of um, of all these companies and organizations?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really inspiring to see what all these companies are doing and the work they're doing and and the impact that they're having and and the potential impact they're having. You know, one of the things that we always feel really strongly about in reading these entries is the companies that we can shine a little light on that are doing amazing things but might not be getting enough attention. And then people can see them in Fast Company and, and learn more about them and hopefully find ways to boost what they're doing or work with them or just learn about them. So yeah, I would really encourage people to read not just about the winners, but Our sort of long list of finalists is an amazing compendium of companies doing amazing
0: things. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Morgan. Thank you. Now we'll join Rebecca Minkoff for a virtual tour of her house as she takes us from room to room explaining where and how she gets her work done from home. By the way, in the background, you may hear the washing machine running and clinking of dishware. Just like most of us, she also has to deal with these constant distractions at home.
2: Hi everyone, I am Rebecca Minkoff, co-founder and creative director of Rebecca Minkoff, your favorite handbag and accessories line, known for its affordable luxury. And I'm gonna take you through my day a little bit and talk to you about all things, what we're doing from home right now i happen to be working from my dining room table which is a luxury normally i am hiding in the bathroom sometimes i'm working from my bedroom sometimes i'll sneak into a kid's room it changes day by day we don't have a home office where we are out here so wherever i can steal away and get some peace and quiet is usually where i end up working and originally the first two weeks through this quarantine i had back-to-back calls meetings every 30 minutes, and that was totally not manageable, especially with the kids needing to get homeschooled. So we sort of transitioned into two hours a day. I'm with the kids doing their homeschool two hours a day. My husband is and the rest of the day we sort of flip flop with calls and meetings. I do notice that by four o'clock I need a break. And so that's when I kind of get outside as I am right now, go for a walk, go for a run or exercise just to get my mind off of a phone, off of a Zoom call and uh, a little bit of space and then I'm back at it. Well, one of the things that I love about working from home is I have a two-year-old whose vocabulary is blooming and to be able to see that throughout the day and hear it and hear how he's thinking and his mind is working is very different experience than when I get home at 6.30 at night and he's a little tired and just you know wants to play. So being able to see his mind blossom and grow is an amazing gift and I feel very fortunate that I get to see that happen right in front of my eyes. I would say the best tips for leading my team are a few things. I think the morning meetings with your immediate team members are really helpful. I think turning as much as you can to phone or Slack, trying to take as much Zoom, FaceTime, phone calls, even a quick you know, text message If employees are comfortable with that, just gives you the opportunity to just clarify what's needed, get stuff into motion quickly. I also think it's incredibly important, if you can, to get on the same page as the other team members schedule-wise so everyone knows when you're homeschooling when you're cooking lunch and your expectations as a leader are set and they know when you're available and i think keeping that line of open communication is key because we're all dealing with extraordinary circumstances and so the more we can be up front the better we as a team can work let's talk challenges i think for all of us we've all had different kinds of challenges i think specifically to our company you know when this whole shutdown started and our stores were not accepting our orders and or shipping that led to the unfortunate and worst probably few weeks of my life in my 15 year career of having to lay off and furlough some of my most dedicated most loyal employees and i think then there are the mind infuriating challenges of lack of bandwidth Everyone's on Zoom. You know, the whole house is using the wireless and it keeps petering out. And I just think the challenges of having to adapt to this, we're all trying to navigate through it. You know, you're used to working a nine to five or a nine to six as your day, and you get home and you get to a few hours to reconnect with your kids. And now it's all sort of groundhog days. So I think something I've learned about myself during this whole pandemic is the idea that not just myself, but human beings are resilient and we're survivors. And you can either lie down and fail through this, or you can get up and fight. And so this is, you know, something that's not gonna go on forever and that human beings will be innovative and we will figure out new ways to reach people that, you know, forces us out of our comfort zone. And my brother and I, you know, we grew our company 546% coming out of the last recession. And so I think that there is opportunity for us to grow through this as hard as it may be. So one thing that I definitely buy a lot of during this pandemic is chocolate chips. I love to cook. I love to bake. And it's therapeutic for me. And when I'm craving something sweet rather than, you know, just open up a candy bar, I will make something. I've been making a lot of almond flour chocolate chip cookies, almond flour brownies. However, I can do something that doesn't totally feel like cheating, but gives me some sweetness, and those chocolate chips are a very important part of it.
0: We'll be right back after this short break. TV chef personality Alton Brown has long entertained crowds with his high energy and innovative approach to cooking. Along with the reboot of his show, Good Eats, Brown has started a new program with a surprise co-host at his side. Here to tell us more is Fast Company Entertainment Reporter Casey Efeany. Welcome to the show, Casey.
3: Hey, thanks for having me, and thank you for pronouncing my last name right. I'm so impressed.
0: <laughs> was that right? I was going to check, but I no, you decided. nailed it. <laughs> so, uh, Casey, despite the lockdown, uh, Brown seems to be staying pretty busy these days. What's going on in the new show?
3: Yeah, so you know, he had this very famous show, Good Eats, on for. God for since 1999 and when they went off air he came back with Goodies to Return which is basically you know a new version of Good Eats, and then Good Eats Reloaded which is on the cooking channel and it's basically him going back to past episodes, dialing all the way back from even the pilot episode and giving it a revamp. He's either redoing recipes or updating it with new facts or cooking techniques. And it's a really fascinating show, especially for someone like me, who's been a good eat stand since really the beginning. So yeah, it's just basically every episode is like one long, awesome throwback Thursday. I love it.
0: That sounds great. So uh, what does it look like having both his present and past selves on screen?
3: So what's really interesting is that You know, of course, he's interacting with his past self who, you know, he affectionately refers to as baby Alton. And it's just really funny because he's always riffing on like, oh, look at all that hair I used to have and look at how chubby I used to be. And, you know, it's a really interesting setup. And it's just such a carefully edited show. And that's something that he mentioned when I talked to him is that he sits down with his editor and is very precise in the timing of when present day Alton comes on to interact with baby Alton and it's really fun because it's a show Good Eats is known for having really fun silly skits and so you add that on top of him interacting with his old self and it just creates this really interesting dynamic that I personally love a lot.
0: Right. So it's kind of just a nice mix, a nice balance between the old and the new.
3: Exactly. The show is more layered than you think. And there's like a seven layer dip joke in there that I was going to try to make, but that's fine. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to subject either of us to my... Really terrible late afternoon humor. So.
0: <laughs> You're making me hungry for something. <laughs> the show also um, has some reviews. Is that right?
3: No, yes, it does. So one fun thing about the show is that, in addition to just kind of updating the the obvious things about you know like oh I don't cook this way anymore or anything like that, he's also very open about recipes that failed. I mean recipes that technically worked but they just came out horribly and one that he mentioned in an upcoming episode is a pot roast so back in season four I think he had this pot roast that he himself admits now was a little too highfalutin like he was trying to add like raisins and all this weird stuff when in essence people just want carrots and potatoes with their pot roast and so you know he said that it was so poorly reviewed somebody left in the comments like you know if I could give this a zero I would but one star is all Food Network will allow me to do so here's your one star so he has this giant red binder on the show, this three ring binder where he just kind of goes through all the recipes that have gotten these horrible reviews over the past and so in addition to updating cooking techniques he's also kind of Writing some of the culinary wrongs that he's had over the course of Good Eats. So, yeah, I think it's, it's big for him to admit when it's like, yeah, this technically this recipe works, but it's just a bad recipe. <laughs> like, no one wanted it. So
0: I think I'm also a, a, a pot roast traditionalist. Not sure about raisins.
3: I love a good fancy recipe. But at the end of the day, I mean, you like raisins and pot roast. like it, it was a reach Alton. I love you so much. But that was certainly a reach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it has
0: to be gratifying, though, to, to address comments from his audience. And, you know, his other new show has a bit of participation as well. He virtually invites people into his home kitchen while he's cooking dinner. How did that all come about?
3: Yeah, so it's interesting. Since, you know, the pandemic happened, he, of course, was affected. And, you know, he said that he spent his test kitchen home. Everyone's been working remotely. And one day he was at home with his wife, Elizabeth Ingram, who's a restaurant designer. And he was like, we're getting ready to cook dinner like normal. And just something in me was like hey let's go live like let's do this and he's done a few videos on youtube before and you know an extension of his kind of quirky style of presenting food and all that but he's never really done much in the way of like going live on youtube you know so they went live and He said that it was just this massive success. Like everybody kept saying how refreshing it was to see sort of the unplugged Alton, if you will. I mean, this was an Alton that was cussing and drinking and, you know, just really being kind of at ease because, you know, as charming as he is on Good Eats, you know, in any iteration of the show, he's still kind of a performer. There's still a performative aspect to being a host. And so yeah. to be in his home and to, to see him so relaxed with his wife, who we never have seen in this capacity, you know, like mm-hmm. she's, she's not in the spotlight like he is. So just seeing them together, seeing their dynamic, seeing him in his home, it was just it's been it's been really interesting. And I, I tune in all the time. It's just it's such a fun show.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about the dynamic with his wife? You know, it must be fulfilling for him to be able to share Something with her that he's been doing for decades.
3: Totally. And I think that that's what was really interesting in, in talking to him because I asked him, you know, he, here's a guy who's never had a co host. You know, he's his show has always been just him and, you know, include like, you know, he'll have like the occasional goofy sidekicks or characters or something that'll come onto the show every now and then, but he's never had a co host. So, mm-hmm one it's learning how to share the spotlight but when you're sharing the spotlight with your wife it's it can be really interesting and he was saying that she's actually the one who really grounds the show in the spirit in which it started because he because he comes from a world of television like he has a tendency to over prepare and she's the one who's always like no like the second he tries to say how about we try this she's like no I will walk away. and You know, I will. And so, you know, and and even in addition to that, you know, one thing that I found really sweet was that this is the first time that they have something together. You know, she, of course, has her established career. He has his. But this is really the first time that they're doing a project together. And he's like, it's an us. It's like an us thing. And anytime you are in a relationship and you can reach that point, it's something really special that you can kind of have something that you share in that way, you know, because you can share your home, you can share, you know, a lot of things. But when it's like something that you're both pouring creative energy into, it makes it that much more special. So in addition to just kind of seeing this unplugged out and also get to see Alton, the husband and this amazing woman, that's his wife. And so it's just it's a really cool dynamic. You know, not to be cheesy, but we do kind of need that now, so...
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell me about it.
3: Um, so, Elizabeth's going to grate
1: some cheese. You brought up some scallions. I did. We brought up a scallion and kind of the sad remains of one other scallion. This, this is plague times, so this is what we do.
3: Like, oh, my God, no. we've, we've got a scallion. No, for
4: so, real. It's like we need to eat all that we
3: We have. will eat this scallion. We need to
4: eat everything.
3: And thing. this ham. I'm going to cut up some ham. Oh, crap. That's beautiful. Well, it's,
2: it's beets.
1: Well, I love beets. The thing about beets is they'll scare the hell out of you in the morning, though, won't they?
2: Yeah. Because you go and you,
3: my... and, you, and you go poop and you look in the bowl and you're like, blood, I'm dying. It's just, you're like, oh, I I'm have
0: scared. beets. <laughs> it needs That me...
3: mm. so doesn't
0: need
1: anything. What are you talking about? May not. It's freaking amazing. You've cooked out me again. Wait, you've outcooked me again. All I would say is grind it up a little more.
0: Yeah,
1: on it. Give it a little more. Mm
0: -hmm. more. So what's your kind of biggest takeaway from this, this accidental project, I guess, that they've created?
3: I mean, the fact that Alton Brown is an asshole. His words, not mine, I swear. No, 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 because that was something that I found really interesting because he was saying that in doing Quarantine Kitchen, he learned that his wife can cook because as, you know, him being this trained chef, this TV personality for like two decades, he just got used to being the boss of the kitchen. And, you know, he and his wife have been married for only two years. And so it just kind of was a role that he assumed and she kind of let him. And he said, like, I'm an asshole for that. So for him to be like, yeah, my wife is actually an amazing cook. And I love what she cooks. And I've been keeping that from her. I just thought that was really cool. So that was kind of like, you know, one of my one of my favorite takeaways from from talking to him about this about this project.
0: Sure. Well, it's really inspiring stuff. And it's great to hear that kind of honesty and self awareness. You said that they'll continue the show after quarantine is lifted, probably.
3: Yeah. So he said that, you know, if right now it seems like they they will and they're probably gonna keep it exactly how it is they may just switch to like a better camera because i think right now they just use you know their phone but yeah he said that's the only thing we don't we're not going to have like crazy lights or segments or anything you know he just wants to keep the spirit of how it started as intact as possible so you know we'll see because once everything goes back to normal, you know, schedules get crazy and you just never know. So, um, but fingers crossed that Quarantine Kitchen or its TBD title <laughs> continues.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And I hope that people keep up their enthusiasm after the pandemic with cooking. I feel like like a lot of people I've been cooking a lot more since uh, coronavirus hit. And I'm happy to say that my lamb bolognese sauce that I've been trying to perfect is coming along very nicely.
3: Oh, is it now? That's good to know. All you Johnny-come-latelys to cooking. I've been <laughs> cooking and baking since before this thing happened, all right? But glad to know that, you know, more people are coming into the fold. So, you know, you have to send me that recipe and I'll send you my, uh, my chicken parm recipe that I actually got from Alton. So, you know.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, do send me that. Well, um, Casey, it was really great having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming.
3: No, oh, thanks for having me. And definitely, uh, seriously, send me that recipe. I really do love bolognese sauce, so thank you.
0: <laughs> I will do. <laughs> thanks, Casey. So we've already had a world-changing idea called Give a Shit for Science, and then Casey talking about Alton calling himself an asshole. I think we're quickly uh, gonna be known as one of the most expletive quarantine podcasts already. You may remember our reporter Liz Siegren last week talking about her conversation with Marie Kondo. Here she is this week giving some of her pop culture recommendations.
4: Hi, I'm Liz Siegren. I'm a senior staff writer here at Fast Company. And I've been stuck at home just like you have. And here are some of the things that I've been doing to stay sane. So most of you know me as a fashion and retail writer here at Fast Company, but I actually have a PhD in women's studies and any show about the women's rights movement and the Equal Rights Amendment in the United States was going to get my attention. Mrs. America is a show that I found on FX, but it's also streaming on Hulu. This show reveals how hard it was to pass the Equal Rights Amendment in the United States and how many women actually opposed this fight for equal rights. Kate Blanchett is the lead actress in the show, and she basically embodies all of the women who were opposed to this fight for equal rights. And I think the show is fascinating because it gives us a glimpse into how hard it was to achieve the women's rights we have today, but also it gives us some insights into the fights that are continuing to go on in the Constitution. My next recommendation is this great podcast that I've just discovered called Deep Background with Noah Feldman. Now usually when we're not in the midst of a pandemic, I have NPR in the background while I'm cooking or doing tours around the house. But lately I've been finding it really stressful to get this kind of barrage of really scary headlines about people dying and the economy kind of going south. But I love this podcast because Noah Feldman is a law professor, and in each episode, he talks to some expert who is dealing with some aspect of the coronavirus crisis. He's spoken to economists and epidemiologists and data experts and even a religious scholar about various parts of the crisis. And it really comforts me to know that there are real experts hard at work fixing our country during this time. So my next recommendation is not something necessarily to consume like a movie or a podcast, but it's a range of activities and things that I've had around me that have made me feel cozy and intellectually engaged during this period. So to start with, I think having wonderful, cozy textiles around you in your home can be a really good way to feel good at home. So I found this amazing company in California called Koyuchi that makes lots of organic cotton things. I've personally been living in their organic cotton robe. I've also weirdly sort of been turning into kind of a grandma. I'm not exactly sure how that's happened, but a lot of the things I do in my spare time now are very slow, deliberate activities. So for instance, I've taken up knitting. There's this amazing startup called We Are Knitters that will send you cool patterns and instructions for how to knit simple things, and I've already knit a blanket. I've also taken up doing puzzles, which was not something I ever did before this crisis, but uh, this amazing startup called Piecework makes these beautiful but very complex puzzles. So over the week, my whole family sat down and did a puzzle that was an enormous photograph of bagels, which is our favorite food, so that made a lot of sense for us. And finally, I've been trying to get better at taking care of plants. So throughout my whole life, I have been a really, really terrible at taking care of any plant. I have literally killed every single plant I have brought into my home. But this new startup called Vasil offers plants that they sell online and will deliver to your house. And more importantly, they offer instructions about how to take care of the plant and not kill it. So I've ordered one of these plants. I hope that you know I don't kill it, uh, but we'll have to see if they're true to their word. I found that this has been an incredibly stressful, anxiety-inducing time. And I've been finding that these TV shows and podcasts and activities have been making me feel a little bit happier. And so I hope that they offer you some joy as well.
0: That's it for this week. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Bizram.